classical musicians who were Americans rather than Europeans were still a bit unusual in 1941, when the composer Samuel Barber's violin concerto had its premiere at a Philadelphia orchestra concert. This recording was made at that event, February of that year. Adding to the drama of the U.S. composition was the fact that the violin soloist, Albert Spaulding, was American too, one of a few such homegrown classical stars at the time. World War II was looming. In fact, Barber had begun the piece in Switzerland in 1939, and soon after, all Americans were encouraged to leave, says Lawrence Kramer, author of The Thought of Music. fact is that if you were living in the world in 1939, you knew what was coming. Barber wrote the final movement of the piece in the U.S., but he was writing it in the classical tradition, the one that was thought of as European. Writing this violin concerto, is a way of claiming a position within that lineage, within that heritage. By now, American classical music has come up in the world, and the Barber Concerto is a must for American musicians, says violinist Hilary Hahn. This is her recording of the piece, made in 2000. You just hear this beautiful line that flows with so much ease. (laughs) She laughs because as a player, You must fight for that flowing long line. The violinist has to make quick technical adjustments to the bow while spinning out those extended melodies. For me, it was a matter of figuring out how to make it sound like one long line without interruptions. Han says, as you play it, you're fighting against the instrument in a way to communicate this bigger-than-life expression. That duality is one thing that makes it very powerful. If you could play it easily, it really wouldn't have the emotional impact. You have to really want to express. Wanting to express. That idea suits Samuel Barber to a T. Writing a concerto in the late 30s, he wasn't looking for a national identity at a time when some others very notably were, or commenting on the current culture or the war. He was composing a concerto. And it's interesting now that it's become probably his most popular piece. John Corleano, composer of the Red Violin, among many other works. It's wonderful. In the third movement, it's like fireworks, just explodes with virtuosity and energy and very high spirits. Barber's breakthrough and sort of signature piece, however, was an even earlier and greater success. He'd written it at age 26 as an inner movement of a string quartet. Then he heard that the conductor Arturo Toscanini was on his way to New York to start an orchestra, he said later. So I got busy. Barber wrote a new orchestra piece piece and rearranged that quartet movement. And also arranged the adagio of a string quartet for string orchestra and submitted those to Toscanini. Sure enough, Toscanini did premiere Barber's Adagio for Strings in 38, and it made Barber's name when it became a radio phenomenon after FDR's death. 1945, on-air hosts played the piece repeatedly to strike the right mournful, reflective note for the occasion. And the whole nation, in fact the whole world, heard this beautiful piece by this young composer. 
He nailed it. Composer Carmen Moore came to New York in 1958 to write music and also wrote criticism for the Village Voice. He says in those days, Barber was dismissed in certain circles. Some said the music was old-fashioned, irrelevant, insufficiently American. We younger composers sort of considered Barber a moldy fig, but, you know, not at all with it. And after these years have passed... You know, I've just really come to really appreciate his work and love many of his works. It's interesting, too, because Barber, of course, was aware of these opinions about relevance and modernism. And there were pieces, including a piano concerto, quite a spectacular piece, with his gift for melody not at all hidden, but it's a composition that sounds more 20th century than some of his others. and it won the Pulitzer Prize in the early 60s. But in the end, Barber wrote what he wanted to write. Lyrical things, classical things. The critic Alan Cozen once asked him, do you address the audience when you compose? Barber snapped back, ah, I was waiting for this. And then the composer concluded, I address myself. Carmen Moore asserts that is what composers do. You know what it is? It's when you compose, you are your best audience and your your most critical audience. And you don't let yourself get away with anything. So when you try to please yourself, you have the sense that an audience has got to love this. Samuel Barber famously knew at age nine that he wanted to be a classical composer. American? Maybe. Modern? Not necessarily. He wanted to write in a certain tradition. Lawrence Kramer says what he did was more than mere stubbornness. Which brings us back to where we started, with that violin concerto, written as World War II tensions were mounting. And he writes this, you know, first movement of insistent, overwhelming, flourishing lyricism as an affirmation of the power of that musical tradition in spite of political developments. It seems to sound that way to me when I listen to the concerto with its history in mind. History tells us a lot, but it's also a mystery how music can change over time and what it contains for listeners in one era or another. Eighty years after the Samuel Barber Violin Concerto, this piece of now standard repertoire benefits from context, but happily can also live without it and just be. It's Fishko Files. I'm Sarah Fishko. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.